For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Melissa Kwan. She's the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar. Prior to founding this company, she had founded multiple other tech companies. Stay tuned for my conversation with Melissa, where she shares practical advice for entrepreneurs and business leaders on how to leverage webinar as a means to drive awareness, leads, and sales for your organization. Enjoy the show. Hey, Melissa, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Thanks so much for having me. Most certainly. Well, every entrepreneur has an interesting story of how they overcame obstacles to become an entrepreneur. I'm sure you have something very similar. I saw you started your career in in the enterprise world, uh, working for a big corporation and ended up founding three companies yourself. So there's got to be some sort of an entrepreneurial itch that you have. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, uh, it's like part is an itch and part of it is like a necessity. (laughs) So um, Mm -hmm. that's so the last job I quit working for someone else was mm-hmm. SAP, uh, where I was large enterprise sales. Mm-hmm. Before that, I spent some years in real estate, uh, working for developers, also my real estate license, just like 98% of this world, I guess. <laughs> but I, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, my last job was at SAP. I quit that to start my first company, um, which was, you know, it was meant to be a product company and turned into an agency because we were bootstrapped. So the thing that's kind of special about me is all my companies are bootstrapped. We've never raised venture capital. And in my mm-hmm. first company, uh, we started as an agency or no, we started as a product, but because we said yes to everything, because we needed the money, we very quickly turned into an agency where we were just making custom apps for different customers. Did that for about four years, realized agencies are actually really hard. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. we were actually building like very specific real estate, uh, real estate technology for marketing, like marketing buildings. So um, my second, that transitioned me to my second company where we built an open house sign-in app. So people listening knows what an open house is. You walk in, someone asks you to sign in on a piece of paper. We were the iPad version of that. And we sold it to brokerages, franchises, mostly in the US, some in Canada, uh, ran that for about five years. That was acquired in 2019. Um, and in that company, because again, we were bootstrapped, I was everything except for code. So you can imagine mm-hmm. I was running all the sales demos, all the training, all the onboarding, customer education, feature updates, all of those was delivered in webinar style mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. one-on-one meeting style. Um, and I was just doing these back-to-back every single day, sometimes five to six of them back-to-back. I wouldn't do anything else. That's all I was doing. And I did that for five years and I just never really understood why a person, let alone the founder of the company, had to be doing that every single day, same thing, delivering the same webinar with extremely low attendance rate. Like -hmm. sometimes, you know, 30 people sign up, two people show up, everybody drops off before the webinar is over and I'm still doing it because they want the replay. Mm -hmm. Like Zoom wasn't even around. It was like go to webinar. So I had always envisioned this magical product that would allow me to like, that would do my job for me while I could go and have more fun. And Mm -hmm. I looked at different solutions that would accomplish that because Like, especially for like things like demos, onboarding trainings, like people don't watch videos. They want to go to a webinar where there's like any, you know, a a calendar invite where they're blocking off time, where they go there and expect to be able to engage with the host, Mm -hmm. ask questions, get resources. So I tried video, didn't work, tried some solutions out there and they were just never built to the extent that like I had imagined and they were just not solutions that I was proud of using. So mm-hmm. after that company was acquired, I decided to solve this particular problem once and uh, once and for all. Because at the same time, like I knew through almost a decade of being in startups that I wasn't the only one living with that problem. 
Like mm-hmm. a lot of my vendor friends, like whether they are in technology or not, they have the exact same problem. So either mm-hmm. they have like massive marketing and training teams to deliver this around the clock, um, or they're like me where they just have a makeshift solution because they just don't have enough manpower or even mindshare. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of eWebinar. Uh, we built it for about a year and a half before anybody saw it. And um, we launched a product July of 2020, which is, I guess, uh, like perfect timing. over two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect timing to start a company in the middle of a COVID, uh, right? Crisis. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that helped or not because I don't have a reference point. Um, but definitely in 2020, like if you were not using webinars before, like you are using it now. Yeah, most certainly. And I think there's a happening, I think it was a, a founded right in the middle of a COVID, which is like a virtual event platform. They're like valued mm-hmm. at a couple of billion dollars in a matter of like 14 months or something like that. It's crazy how fast that company grew. But yeah. I think the best way to start a product is to to really find a need in the market and solve it, right? And I think you found a product need because you were actually the, the first customer for it because yeah. you actually lived that painful life of keep repeating yourself every day to prospective customers and you're like, ah, I get yeah. bored of myself. <laughs> I mean, to give people some context, <laughs> like what eWebinar does that's different than a Zoom is we automate repetitive webinars. So we take any video and we deliver it as a webinar so you never have to do the same one twice. We're not trying to replace the live webinars, the live meetings, live conversations. What we're replacing are all of those robotic pitches that you just don't want to do or nobody on your team wants to do because it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, like I think it's it's interesting that I I had like that problem and it was just so close to me. And the reason why this was the idea and not the other 19 ideas I had was because Mm -hmm. I I literally just could not believe that nobody was solving this. Like, Mm -hmm. and so much money was being poured into live broadcast, like not just zoom. I'm talking like Mm -hmm. Facebook live, Instagram live, restream, like LinkedIn, everybody is going to live broadcast, but no one is solving. The real problem is the scalability Mm -hmm. of the content that works really well for you by Mm -hmm. nature. All of these, live, like all these live broadcast, live live content does not scale. How do you clone yourself? And the other thing is the people that are best presenters are your executives or your founders. That's true. And is their time best spent running the same thing over and over or on something else? But at the same time, especially if you have a smaller company, you can't let that go because even though it's mind numbing for you, it's really important for your business. So that was Mm -hmm. the kind of, the, the kind of place that I was stuck in. Most certainly. And I love your mission that you have is to give people back their time, which is the most valuable thing you have is time, right? More than anything else, right? You can raise capital, but you can't raise money. You can't raise time. So that's a. Yeah. I mean, we're not selling, we're not really selling webinars. We are selling your freedom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so like our pricing model kind of reflects that. We're like, how do we want our pricing model or business model to reflect our mission? So we actually Mm -hmm. price based on the number of webinars you have. And not mm-hmm. attendees, not team members, because the more you can automate, the more you time time you get back, and that's how mm-hmm. we we value ourselves. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about you know the the, the webinar as a concept for demand or legion strategy, because obviously there's you know the, like you said there's a lot of live streaming happening. The video is on you know like the we're in a video revolution, right? Like yeah, uh, b- before video it was all around written content, then we moved into more of audio 
now we're all about video, right? People actually want to see things and don't just want to sit there and read some text. So talk a little bit about how effective is webinar today in obviously post-pandemic world where people are actually mostly virtual. So how effective is a webinar uh, from, a, from a sales and marketing standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think I read some stat also on HubSpot that's something like, like a crazy amount, like 53% of marketers say like webinars are their number one top of the funnel lead gen channel. Right. Mm -hmm. And like 95% of people say they play a key part in their marketing effort. Like webinars mm -hmm. are videos. I, I actually think we are, I don't even, like you say video revolution. I think we're at the beginning of that. I mm -hmm. don't even think we know what that really means yet because for the first time in history, like internet is cheap, right? Internet mm -hmm. is fast. Your phone is fast. Like your phone is your computer. Like people don't even bring their computers. Like if I go mm -hmm. away for a weekend, I don't, I don't bring my computer. That yeah. has never happened before. Mm -hmm. And it is now accessible to everybody. I have friends that don't even send voicemails or texts. They send me a video of them talking mm -hmm. and then they send it to me like that way because it's for them. Mm -hmm. It's more personal. Mm -hmm. So I think, and, and now there's dating apps. Like like there's like Tinder and TikTok like together, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think video is really interesting because it allows people to get to know you. Like who is mm -hmm. on the other side? How do you work with your clients? What is your personality? What is your tone of voice, right? And that actually is, I believe what makes webinars so much more authentic. Mm -hmm. And I guess um, so much more, um, like, feel, like you feel more connected, I guess, with a webinar than like an educational video that mm -hmm. is produced because a produced yeah. video is, is scripted. It almost feels fake, right? But a webinar, people really get to know like who's behind the camera. You can say things wrong and say it again and no one's going to fault you for it. Your video mm -hmm. quality doesn't have to be the highest and no one's going to be like, oh, your video quality is not very good. So mm -hmm. I think not only is it effective from a marketing perspective, just in people really getting to know who's behind the camera and who they want to work with. It also is super effective because you can iterate really quickly. Like how long does it take you to produce a video? Like have a video company produce a video it takes like weeks for two, three minutes, let alone 20 minutes. And that's not even cost effective with a webinar. Anybody can jump on get a zoom, get a go to webinar, or with us, they can just record a video on like loom for 10 bucks a month, or they have a free mm -hmm. version. So I think it's like to say it's effective is like an understatement. Like it's mm -hmm. the only way you can get in front of your prospects and, and customers today without hopping on a plane, mm -hmm. especially now, like more and more people are working from home. Like they don't want you to go see them or maybe I'm working remotely. Like maybe I'm not even here. So. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the only way that, that we can communicate. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about some, you know, specific strategies that you seem to have worked? Um, you know, it's one thing to create the webinar and have it hosted on a platform like eWebinar, e making it easy for people to access it on demand, on their time zone, wherever they are consuming that content, right? And I believe eWebinar is super responsive on any platform. So you can, don't, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be on a desktop device to watch. You could be on an iPad, it could be on a phone. You can yeah. still engage and chat and do all those things. But in terms of getting people to consume that content, what have you seen to work really well for, especially in the B2B audience, um, to get those content pieces to have eyeballs on them every day? Well, I think a live event, like as webinars as, like as the popular concept, right? Like live webinars, live event happens once, once a quarter, once mm -hmm. every half year, maybe you have a special guest or maybe it's a special training, whatever it might be. All of that marketing goes to that one day. 
Like you might buy ads on it a couple a couple weeks in advance. And and that's a concept that people know really well. To market a one-day event is is not very hard. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you've got all your energy, all your team driving towards one goal. When it's done, it's done. The difference between marketing and evergreen webinar that's happening on a recurring basis is it's not one day. So how do you make sure that this is visible in front of people all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's no different than like SEO optimizing a blog, right? Like one of the best ways that like one of the best ways we drive evergreen traffic to our own webinars is we take the education that we're delivering for that webinar. We write an SEO, like optimized piece of content. Like Mm -hmm. these are the things you're going to learn for, you know, to dig in more, join the webinar. And people are, they continue to find these things even two Mm -hmm. years after we've done this webinar. And all I have to do is if there's a chat message, I just answer the chat. So I think marketing an evergreen event um, is very different in the way that it just has to live indefinitely on the internet. And there's many different ways to do that. Like you can have widgets that, you know, that you can create from eWebinar embedded on your website. Like if you come to our website, eWebinar.com, you'll see a little pop-up right away that says, hey, join the next demo. It's just staying in front of people. It's having it on your header, on your footer, um, in your email signature, on all of your onboarding emails, uh, maybe on the footer in your newsletter, like anywhere. Or maybe you go to Quora and you ask a question where you can answer. And the answer is where you embed your webinar link. Maybe you join your LinkedIn or Facebook interest groups. And maybe you share that webinar there, or maybe you sponsor the group and have that webinar pinned like for a period of time, right? There's Mm -hmm. so many things you can do with an evergreen webinar that you just don't even have to think about for, for Mm -hmm. one live event. And the other thing is the registration page is very different for one live event. Everyone's going to this one, one page. You don't even have Mm -hmm. time to optimize this page to appear on the internet. But Mm -hmm. if your webinar is happening on a recurring basis, then you should make sure that it is sitting on an optimized landing page for this specific audience. And you can even A-B test it because you have all the time in the world to figure out how to get this in front of people. And then you can even try different ads, try different social media, try different pieces of content with the CTA that actually just goes directly to this, to this particular resource. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the perception of the pre-recorded, uh, you know, simulated webinar versus a live webinar, right? Because there's this concept of, oh, I'm going to miss out. I might get the recording, but I might miss out on, you know, consuming that content if I don't register and go to it. But if it's like a pre-recorded, oh, it's available to me anytime I want to watch it, then there's no urgency for it. So hmm. how, how have you seen that perception to be more appealing for someone to okay to be consuming a pre-recorded webinar and still have the urgency for them to register and watch it right there and then? I think people are not going to go to your content because they feel like they're going to miss out on this day, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to come to your content because your content is really compelling for me. Mm -hmm. And that's where, um, the, you know, that's where the magic of writing a really compelling landing page or registration page comes in, right? Like how to solve X by doing benefit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so that's where like expert copywriting kind of comes in. And mm-hmm. that's actually matters more, I think, for an evergreen event, because for, for a live event, you can just have a big counter. Oh, this is over. Um, but for an evergreen event, I think the urgency doesn't come in, hey, it's happening today or tomorrow. It's like, you need to get this value today because mm-hmm. this, this 
information that I'm going to share with you is going to help your business. So it's just a different way of generating that urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I, I don't want to say like one is better than the other because it's, it's mm-hmm. situational, right? Like mm-hmm. a live webinar should be unique, right? It should be like a movie premiere, a book launch, uh, I don't know, a, a world event that, you know, where you want to be able to discuss with your audience or, you know, mm-hmm. a timely feature release that you want to get real-time feedback on. Like those things don't go away, right? What we want to automate is all the mundane, boring stuff, the same content that nobody wants to be delivering, but is still really valuable to your audience mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. So I don't want to say like one is better than the other. It's, it's, it's just different. But Mm -hmm. I agree with you that creating the urgency for two types of content uh, is is a little bit different. Like definitely for an evergreen event, you really want to sell the value Mm -hmm. and not, hey, you're going to miss out. But just to give you some stat, um, the average attendance rate for live webinars, like webinars as we know it, is 25%. Like anyone who's run a webinar before, like might think, okay, that's actually kind of high. Like, because usually Mm -hmm. it's like, 15 to 25%, depending on where you are, like in the webinar, the average attendance rate for e-webinar customers is 65%. Mm -hmm. So how is a live webinar better if your people can't even go to it, right? Mm -hmm. The magic of automating a webinar on a recurring basis is people can actually pick a time that fits their schedule, whether it's now or tomorrow Mm -hmm. or next week. And guess what? By allowing them to choose a time that fits into their calendar, there's a 40% chance higher that they're actually mm-hmm. going to show up. So mm-hmm. that's the, one of the questions that I get is like, oh, like if I don't do it live, are people still going to show up? It's like, well, you might get less people per session, but you're running 300 sessions a month instead of once a week or maybe once a month. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, like oftentimes I register for webinar just to get the recording. I have no intention of actually going and attending it live because I know that time doesn't work for me. But I think, like you said, but if I just come across a blog post and I read it and it was at the right time, I consuming the information, I'm like, well, this information makes sense. Maybe I should just watch that webinar and get the deeper insight into whatever that I was trying to to solve for, right? Whatever, Whatever the business challenge that I'm trying to learn. Uh, to solve for it. And I think that that is true because I think especially a business person who could be busy reading a blog on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. they don't they don't have to wait until Wednesday at 12 o'clock for a webinar to be whatever, right? Whatever the time the webinar is going to be hosted, which is yeah. really why I think the attention, attention, you know, attention rate is so low, like you said, because most people don't, you know, the time zone and all those things doesn't make it possible for everybody who registered to attend it. Well, it, that that's exactly it. It's like, it's so strange to me that in our life, our, our social life, right? We expect like, I want to watch a show and I want to go to Netflix, Disney TV, whatever. I want to press play. I want it now. Mm-hmm. But with B2B content, when we're delivering it, we're like, no, like you can only watch it next Tuesday at 11, my time, mm-hmm. but your customers are around the world. <laughs> so why is it that B2B content is like, why, why does the, why does the vendor dictate when I get to consume their content? Whereas mm-hmm. in my everyday life, Like I just want to press play and why that's important is because the people who understand this, like who understand the way like consumers actually like to consume video on demand is going to align how they deliver content more closely 
to consumer expectations. And not mm-hmm. many companies are doing that right now. Yeah. But if you are the company that's like, you know, delivering a demo, delivering a piece of education, when your prospect or when your customer is actually looking for it, you are, you already have a leg up over your competitors who are like, mm-hmm. oh, you have to book a time on my calendar or you can join this thing that's like, you know, two weeks from now, but like in a completely mm-hmm. different time zone. Yeah. And I think it also takes away the threat. Uh, I don't know if I want to call it a threat, but it's the fear of like, I go to this live, you know, webinar, I have to engage, but this one, I'm at my own leisure watching the content when I need it. Right. And I can do it at the pace that I want, maybe even pause if needed to, right. That, that yeah. flexibility is there. I don't know if you've heard the news, actually Ford is announcing that they're getting rid of the dealership model and they're going straight to internet and having no. uh, like a digital, yeah. Like, wow. So people, I think they're trying to adapt to what Tesla is doing to cut the dealership out of the picture, which I heard is a big problem. But I'm also, I just saw a skit on LinkedIn a couple of weeks back where someone posted where, uh, you know, like almost like a skit analogy of how uh, someone goes to a restaurant and plays an order versus someone who is a B2B lead that comes in fill out a form. Imagine if the order taking process uh, at a restaurant was same like a sales process in the B2B world. So you go to a restaurant, you sit down, you place your order, but then the first thing is like, oh, I just want to verify your name, your email, your social security number, all this. Uh, and then I'm just going to, you know, you got to wait. Uh, yeah. And then I got to, I got to get you booked with the, the, uh, the chef. That's not going to be for another 24 to 48 hours. So you're just going to have to wait here. And then the chef comes and confirms all the data and then verifies, oh, you got to wait uh, because I can't, I got to check my schedule when I can do the demo with you. So he was just trying to make an analogy of what yeah. a restaurant goer what that experience would be in a restaurant if you, you know, if you just adapt to the same sales process in the B2B world. I want to give you, crazy. yeah, I want to give you another <laughs> stat, which I love uh-huh. by, uh-huh. uh, from trust radius, 87% of buyers prefer to do their own research during mm-hmm. their buying journey. And 57% already make a purchase without talking to a salesperson. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Right. It means that the way we want to be sold to, by the way, we don't want to be sold to has completely mm-hmm. shifted. Right? Like I came from the large enterprise sales world. I worked for SAP. One-on-one sales, cold outreach, complex sales cycle was the way that people were sold to. I was dubbed the queen of cold calling and cold email in my region when I was working mm-hmm. there. I cannot even get my customers to respond to me right now. That's mm-hmm. the way that we don't want to be communicated to. We want full power to control how we engage, where we engage, who we engage with. But we also want you to be there, right? Mm-hmm. We also want you to be there when we, when we have a question. Um, and that's yeah. just an interesting way of, of how this, this has shifted. And you're absolutely right about like, why do B2B companies make people jump through hoops just when they want some basic information? Just show me the demo. Like, just mm-hmm. give it to me. Don't make me fill in a form. We're on completely different time zones. Don't make me fill in all this stuff. But the most annoying thing is sometimes you don't even get the demo. You hop on the call and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, it's just a discovery call. Mm-hmm. To, to qualify me for the, the next demo. And then people don't list their pricing on their website. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think this not only hurts the consumer, like it gives them a worse buying experience because you're not, you're now not allowing me to disqualify myself. Mm-hmm. And it actually hurts the company because now you're dealing with all of these leads that mm-hmm. aren't actually great leads for you. So I think transparency, especially when your competitors don't have transparency, could be such a great differentiator because 87% of people want to do their own research. So mm-hmm. just let them. Yeah. And I think that this is where the power of marketing is even more important because you should be doing a lot more of that education very early on and empowering 
your marketing team with the tools like eWebinar, right? So you can do a lot more at scale marketing and education without wasting a lot of time of your reps um, to be talking with the prospects who are not informed, right? And if they already watched the demo, they already know the product features and the conversation is going to be a lot more about how do I align this technology to your specific use case and, and pricing discussion more than, oh, let me yeah. show you all the bells and whistles of that tool. So where do you, yeah, go ahead. I think that salespeople and being a salesperson myself, um, <laughs> they are so afraid of not talking to the customer. They're like, well, mm -hmm. that's my lead, right? I have to talk to this lead for, for them to fully understand this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I'm comped in this way. I'm super important. Okay. Maybe that's true in some cases, but a lot of times, like there is a top of the funnel kind of filter that you can apply before the salesperson steps in, especially if we're talking about enterprise sales. Like mm -hmm. people think a demo has to be, let me show you the product, like the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. of the product. A demo actually can be anything you define it to be. A demo can be an overview of your company and what you offer and how you differentiate. Your CTA mm -hmm. does not have to be sign up. Your CTA can be book a time on my calendar. Your demo can be a conversation with your customer about how they're getting value from your service and your product. And it has nothing to do with the product and showing the product itself. So I think mm -hmm. if salespeople can, can think more broadly about what a demo can actually be, they can leverage tools like ours or, or mm -hmm. someone else's to just get themselves better leads and, and cast a wider net so they can filter out the people that actually want to buy. That's a crazy way to look at it because I always thought of demo as only for a software company using it as a call to action, not a service company or a product company, right? You would, you would use that. Uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. So where do you see the future of webinar uh, in the future? Well, I may be biased, but I do see the future of webinars as asynchronous. But I'm also only saying that because everything else in our lives is asynchronous, right? <laughs> like I text my friend and I may or may not get a response right now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I hop onto any website and I get a little pop-up that says, Hey, Melissa, can I help you? I may get a response right away or tomorrow through email, mm -hmm. right? I can go on Netflix and watch anything I want, right? I can go on YouTube. Everything else is asynchronous except for the webinar experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that like, two years later, right? Like we're now in 2022. Like we are now in the beginning of the pandemic. People are like, oh my God, I want to do webinars and I'm it's new and everyone wants to do webinars and a webinar on every topic, five webinars a day. It was like mm -hmm. kind of cool. We are now at the point we're at like peak fatigue. We are at like mm -hmm. peak webinar fatigue, video fatigue. We don't want to be sold to, like we're sick of all this stuff and we're so much more selective about mm -hmm. where we spend our time. So if you don't give your customer, your prospect a choice as to when they can or don't want to consume that content, then I, I do feel like you're going to be left behind because other people are going to do that. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's no different than just aligning what you're doing with how people are already leading their, their lives. So I would just encourage, you know, marketers, founders, whatever position you might be in now, just to think about yourself as a consumer. Right. Mm -hmm. There's such a disconnect when we want to sell something like I don't want to give you anything to when we buy something. Right. I want everything from you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah. just align the two and create the best customer journey that you can. And that is your brand. That's what people mm -hmm. remember. They're not yeah. going to remember like you making them jump through all these hoops. 
right? They're going to remember the person that gave them everything that they wanted and it was really easy. And then that's the thing that they write about. That's the thing that they tell their friends about. Yeah. You feel kind of, you know, uneasy when they don't withhold information too, right? Like it's, it doesn't matter in relationship or in business that I think is, it's the same thing. Uh, when, when you feel like you're not getting what you need to, to make an informed decision. Well, so, I, I actually read a, um, a really interesting analogy. I think it was like on LinkedIn. It was like, imagine like you're buying a granola bar, mm -hmm. but you don't know how much it is and there's no ingredients. And you have to actually go to the counter first. And then you, you have to ask them how much it is. And then they can tell you, like, depending on who you are, what it's made of. That would never mm -hmm. fly. You would just go mm -hmm. to the next product that has all the labels printed and the pricing, right? Like, it's, it's exactly how, like, we want to buy anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I actually, in the SaaS world, if I don't see the pricing on their website, I just assume it's an enterprise product, it's super expensive. I'm just <laughs> I do too. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I can immediately say, oh, this isn't going to be a per user, per month model. It's something yeah. completely different. So let's shift our focus to you. Obviously, you've had three, you know, three companies that you founded and you have this drive to just keep going. So can you tell us a little bit about your why? What gives you this motivation to just keep going at it? Um, it's not the answer that I think most people want to hear, but I just didn't have enough money. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the reality. Like I did sell my company in 2019. It was absolutely like a life changing exit because I was so poor for eight of those 10 years. I had nothing. Like I did not mm. pay myself. Like I would pay everybody else and see what's left over and then pay me just enough to cover my rent and my expenses. Like it was really hard. And yeah, I did have a life-changing exit, but it wasn't retirement level. And mm -hmm. I asked myself, okay, like it's 2019, whatever I'm going to do is going to take an extra five years. Like I think as a second or third time entrepreneur, you learn certain things, but there's just, there's so many things in technology that you just can't cut down time. You can only code as quickly as the number of people you have, right? Mm -hmm. You can only iterate like depending on how many customers you have and what stage you're at, you can only brand the company and create all the, all that stuff in, in a certain period of time. And mm -hmm. that's just how long it takes to iterate, get customers and get something off the ground to a meaningful state. And I wasn't willing to work forever. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to start something right away. But also the other thing I noticed was customer expectations are through the roof. And I just take myself for an example. How many seconds do I give an app or a new platform mm -hmm. before I just go somewhere else? How many things do I expect this thing to do before I'm like, oh, this sucks. I'm not going to pay for it. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. So I didn't want to wait for customer expectations to be even higher than they were <laughs> before mm -hmm. I started something. So I think the barrier to entry right now for technology is, is low because yeah, like lots of people can code. You can hire anyone. You have dev shops. Like but the customer expectations being as high as they are is creating a moat for mm -hmm. any company. And that was really the driving force was I didn't have any money. <laughs> I didn't want to wait. Um, but at the same time, like I asked myself, cause I, I was playing with like so many different ideas. I was so scared of starting another company that I didn't want to jump into something very quickly. Cause I had been in really bad places before and starting a company is really hard, but I had asked myself, how would I feel? if someone else started a webinar automation mm -hmm. company and it wasn't me. And mm -hmm. if it was built to the extent that I had imagined, how would I feel? And it was 
that moment that I was like, I have to do this. Like I cannot mm. live with this problem for five years and have someone else solve that problem. Yeah. Like I have to solve that problem. Yeah. And time is super important because whoever has the first mover advantage, right? I think if you don't make that first move, somebody else comes into the you know category, creates that moat that you described and you lost the, you lost the opportunity. And you're not the only one who gave me a very similar answer. John Miller, for, uh, the co-founder of uh, Marketo, he actually said one of the reasons why he went back and started a, a new company was because he said he gave, a, gave up too much equity early on because it was his first venture, but the company was super big and he just had to keep raising more capital and gave up his equity overall, you know, over the years. And then when it was sold, he didn't, he didn't have enough. So that's part of the reason why he said he went back and <laughs> just did it again. Uh, starting a new company. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that like we weren't first movers and I would say that like, if you are like a, an actual first mover, like if there's mm -hmm. absolutely nobody doing something you want to do, like that's a red flag mm -hmm. because whatever you're doing, someone should be doing it and there should be some mm -hmm. paying customers. In fact, the best litmus test to figuring out if your, your product has legs is if there's a similar product that someone else is paying for. But because there's another product like that, it allows you to create a product that differentiates and is better. So mm -hmm. there, there are, and there def definitely were products that I've tried to use in the past that just didn't solve the problem in the exact same way. Like they didn't have a live chat system and that was already mm -hmm. like a no, like they had a video, but then they had like an email box. But then when someone typed in the message, it wasn't like, I couldn't hop in to respond. It was just like an email. But then when people are in my webinar, they're not checking their email. So that was like the one feature that we're like, okay, like if we're to build this, we have to invest time and resource into really nailing this, what Jason Lemkin calls a 10 times feature. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of your decision-making framework. You actually talked about how you decided to go back and started, a, you know, start a new company. You've thought about the product and, and decided not to raise any capital, bootstrap. There's a lot of critical decisions you had to make to come to where you are. So what's kind of your decision-making framework? How do you go about, you know, taking really serious and good decisions? Well, I think you can only try to make the best decision that you can at the time. A lot of times those decisions are wrong. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think just understanding that you can only make the best decision based on information you have at a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. So we started this company with me thinking I didn't need a co-founder. I didn't have a tech co-founder. Um, I just hired a dev shop and I'm like, okay, you guys are going to build the first version of the product. And then we're going to transition to an outsourced team in Vietnam. Uh, this is all like money-based, right? Because we're bootstrapped. Mm -hmm. We can only optimize for, for certain teams in certain places. Um, mm -hmm. But then the dev shop didn't work out because it was like a much larger product than we had both kind of initially envisioned. And then it turns out David, who is my current co-founder now, who's also my life partner, by the way, mm -hmm. I didn't know he could code until... <laughs> two years ago, like five years into this relationship. Like I knew he was like mm -hmm. CTOs for other companies. Like he was like a fractional CTO, but I, I didn't know he was like the top 1% of 1%. I only knew mm -hmm. that when he was kind of volunteering his time to help the dev shop get the product to the version one. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at this, like ever since you came in, the product started to work. Like why am I mm -hmm. engaging this work dev shop when I can just work with you mm -hmm. and we can just work in an arrangement. So I came in not thinking I needed a co-founder a year, a year later, I realized my co-founder was actually in my house. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that happened. Um, I never wanted to raise venture capital because in my 10 years of startups, I've just seen too many companies 
telling the story that your friend has told, right? I raised a lot of money, didn't really know what that was about. I had a board member. I got kicked out of my own company or I was too diluted or I was restricted from certain things. Like I think people think about raising capital as like a measure of success, right? Mm -hmm. And the media makes us think that way, but it's not, right? Success is very personal. Success is whatever you think makes you happy, whatever makes you content. And I got to understand coming to this third company that I didn't need other people's validation, that mm. all I wanted was to build a cool little company with a product that reflects who I am, like giving up, like giving people, giving people back their time. Like freedom is my number one priority. It is mm -hmm. so cool to have a product that gives people their freedom. Um, and I just want to have a company that has like manageable burn, low head count, high revenue per team member, and I might never sell it. Like, I just mm -hmm. want to get this to profitability and I want to keep running it and we'll see what happens. And that was mm -hmm. kind of the decision behind the driving force behind all these things is like, I just don't want another boss. Like I've been working so many years for like true freedom. And for the first time, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer mm -hmm. to it and to have an investor that has the power to tell you what to do is not how I would define happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're just giving up your freedom just to get a little bit of cash. So it seems like your mission is to give people time back. So I'm curious to learn a little bit about your productivity hack. So what are some of the things that you do to, to actually get yourself a lot of free time to do the things that you enjoy and also to get a lot of things that are uh, most critical to you to get done? Well, number one, I automate everything that can be automated. Like all of our demos, onboarding, training, like all of that is on eWebinar. Um, to give you an idea of scale, in the past 10 months, I just looked at these stats yesterday. In the past 10 months, 2,000 people have joined my demo. Hmm. Can you imagine doing 200 demos a month? Like there's no way I could do that. And 25% of those converted to a trial on their own without ever talking hmm. to me. Like that's the impact that it can have on a small company. I don't have a salesperson. I am the salesperson and the marketer and everything else except for code. Um, I am also a huge advocate for not doing everything yourself. Like, but you, as the founder, you have to know like the concept behind doing something. Like you have to know the concept behind writing SEO optimized content, but don't write it yourself because it's going to take me 30 hours versus someone else with an outline. Mm -hmm. It might take them, you know, three hours. Um, but I also, one thing that I've learned is I have very strict boundaries this time around on when I don't work. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's easy, especially when you work from home to always be doing something right. But when you don't have those boundaries, you end up letting work creep into every single day, every hour, every minute. So, I don't work on weekends. Um, if we have vacation, like I'll customer comes first and I'll check stuff, but I don't, I don't work. There's, there's really nothing I've learned that can't wait until Monday. Mm -hmm. And that's new. Yeah. Like I used to be like, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I want to work a lot because I want my team to think I'm working a lot. I want this to create this false sense of hustle and this false sense of success because I was carrying a lot of guilt, right? I wanted to do better for them. I wanted to be perceived as hard, harder working, but it's not human. <laughs> or sustainable. Mm -hmm. But also I realized by creating those boundaries, you're actually creating a lot of space and a lot of time for you to do things you actually enjoy, like spending time with friends and family. Mm. 
So here's my closing question. Knowing what you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? Outside of start a webinar automation company 10 years ago, because <laughs> <laughs> I would be retired right now. Um, I would definitely say my younger self, I would say, um, build a company not based on your experience and education, but build a company based on what makes you happiest. Because I think a lot of people, including myself, think I studied finance, I have to be a banker. Um, you know, I studied engineering, I have to work in an engineering firm, right? And then they get kind of stuck there and then maybe they live for evenings and weekends. Um, and this time, like I, I basically spent years in real estate and the technology. So my first two startups was in real estate technology. But I was like always a little bit frustrated and I was never that happy. So I got some time after I sold my previous company to think about why. And it's because I, I didn't start by asking myself, what are the things that would make me happy? And it's broad, right? It's like, I want a fully remote team. I want a product that can be sold 100% over the internet. No conferences, no booths. Like I hate booth duty. That was, I, I did so much of that in my previous startup and I hated it. Um, you know, I want to build a company with friends, right? So like I had all of these kind of non-negotiable things and then I found a business idea that fit that. Mm. Previously, I found a business idea, built it. And then I was like, oh, I wonder like what I, like, what I can do to like make myself happier. But that's not how it works. I think people have to like kind of invert that model and start with, you know, what, what makes them feel content and then find a business on top of it. Yeah. I think there's a saying, like, if you love what you do, you'll never work in a day or something like that. Right. It's kind of similar to that. <laughs> Whoever that said that team. is probably already very successful and very rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being very open and honest and sharing some of your life experience and, and uh, ideas for our audience. Thank you again. Thanks yeah. for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.